Hello, this is Dr. Josh. And Dr. Doug. And this is our 21st podcast, and we're fortunate enough to have a couple guests with us. My name is Rob. And my name is Allie. There are a couple of medical students from the KCUMB program, and they're unique because they're doing their uh, dual DO degree and MBA at the same time. So they are spending a, a month with us uh, and, and seeing the value of direct care from a couple of different angles. Uh, we are on the heels of a great conference again with the AAPS in New Orleans. We're able to meet a lot of doctors that we've been talking with by email who are at various stages of launching their new direct care practices. So that's been very exciting. Got to review how specialists and primary care doctors can uh, move into this model. Had a great question from a resident in the crowd about when he graduates, if he should do a insurance model for a couple of years and then transition into a direct care practice. And the overwhelming response from the crowd was no. Uh, and Dr. Lee Gross of Epiphany Health was on stage at the time. He had a great quote. The best way to get off heroin is to never start heroin. Uh, so, uh, well-timed quote, and, and he's right. And I think it was well-received by uh, the resident in question. Some pretty uh, important changes uh, in, in various laws in different states. Uh, Michigan uh, governor helped uh, pass a law basically stating that uh, direct primary care is not insurance. Uh, of course, you know, we don't see it as that, but some people are trying to say if you're paying for a membership, uh, paying a membership fee, then it's prepaid medical. That's the same as insurance, and, and clearly it's not. Uh, Missouri is drafting some uh, legislation currently that's following uh, suit with that. Um, Idaho, something similar. And then Texas um, had some movement with the uh, Health and Human Services uh, folks uh, in the direction of trying to help with uh, prescription medications uh, in order to help with direct primary care. So starting to see uh, legislators obviously uh, note the benefit of direct primary care, the, the, uh, the health benefits, cost savings, uh, even at a, a, a statewide level. Well, it's been September since our last podcast, believe it or not, and we've had some major updates to the software since then. Uh, I think the most exciting is we now have an iPhone app. And that's specific to each doctor's practice, and they can invite patients to join. And there's a number of features such as paying online, scheduling online, uh, communicating with their physician uh, directly through the app. So that's been very exciting. But we continue to push out security features, uh, iPhone 6 and 6 Plus features to maximize the usability of the program uh, across all devices. Something that's been pretty helpful uh Text messaging has been a part uh, of the software for some time, but uh, patients now have the ability to text pictures. Uh, used to have uh, patients email. Uh, for some, it's a little more cumbersome. Uh, most people are comfortable with texting pictures, so now we get those straight into the app. Uh, goes right into the chart, so that's been uh, very, uh, very, very helpful. One of the, I think, our nurses' favorite features that's been updated is the file inbox. So now doctors can scan or email directly into the EMR, and that document management has become streamlined uh, to the point that uh, our office is significantly more efficient. We use a neat desk, um, neat connect scanner, and within just about seven or eight seconds, you can scan a document and have it show up in the EMR. So that's been been great. We've also uh, improved the. Uh, 
uh, tracking of activity in the app. We've made macros easier to view. We've even added in a lot of uh, predefined macros so that you can complete an HP much quicker. Uh, so lots of great features there that ha has really streamlined the doctor's workflow. One of the things doctors are saying they have appreciated a lot is being able to mass email their patients from inside of the application so they can let them know about holiday hours or um, you know healthcare updates. So lots of great activity there. Um, Something else on the calendar, um, Dr. Michael and I are going to be going down to uh, Texas uh, to a physician summit. Josh and I were there uh, last year. <clears throat> we're hoping not to have a, a coffee cup malfunction this time, but Josh yes. isn't going. I won't so. be there, so there should be no malfunction. <clears throat> but doing that, and uh, Josh is going uh, to be doing a debate with the uh, AAPS in... Actually, that's the Benjamin Rush oh, Institute. Um, they've invited us to do an Oxford-style debate on healthcare topics, so that'll be very exciting. Uh, it's the same weekend, so the Atlas team will be uh, traveling across the country. Also launched in the uh, since our last uh, podcast uh, website, IamDirectCare.com. This is really exciting because this is a uh, collaborative process between the American Academy of Family Physicians, uh, several of the lead direct primary care providers like QLions, MedLion, AtlasMD, uh, Iora, and, and several others. And this is meant to be a really agnostic to business model or brand, but a, a unified social media marketing attempt so that we can use that hashtag I am direct care to share our individual and uh, patient success stories. I am direct care because I'm a single mother who needs to text message their doctor or hashtag I am direct care because I'm a physician who wants to focus on patients and not paperwork. And I think we can bring in that unified message across Facebook and the website and Twitter and Vine and really start to share these stories. Uh, a Doug has an amazing direct care example of a patient with breast cancer. Yeah, so a patient that um, uh, developed uh, this unfortunate uh, diagnosis and we were looking at some of the treatment options and uh, the medication cost um, at the pharmacy was going to be approximately $600, but the generic for us was $6. So uh, she can afford the 600 but she's not that mad at her money, so she, of course, chose the, uh, the $6 uh, version with us. Shocked us and even shocked the oncologist. In fact, we gave it to her for free just so we could say Atlas MD now providing chemotherapy. Uh, so it, it's a lot of fun to be able to help our patients in, in such a meaningful way. And the movement continues to gain traction. Uh, beginning of the year, we're also featured with QLiance in Time Magazine, uh, and uh, several of the uh, direct care clinics were featured in an article in, in Kiplinger. So uh, still move with uh, more and more traction every month. So be sure to go to that website and like I am direct care, use the hashtag, and help share the message. Uh, but today we'd like to make the main theme of the podcast about our medical students. They're, we're excited to have them. We've had several KCUMB students out. We're scheduled to have several more, and they're on the cusp of direct primary care, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Yeah, so again, uh, my name is Rob uh, from Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences. That's up in Kansas City, obviously. And, uh, Alan? 
And my name's Allie. I also go to KCUMB. We're both fourth years. I'm looking to go into psychiatry. And I'm, I'm going to do family medicine and, and definitely follow the, the DPC model that Atlas has uh, put forth. Um, but we, we first learned about Atlas a couple of years ago. Our whole, our whole class did. Um, whole class being the, the MBA portion of our, of our class. Um, and, and I gave a call down here to Dr. Josh, and he, surprisingly, I, I didn't think I was going to get a res- that quick of a response. I got a response within the same day. Uh, so I shot him back another email, and then all of a sudden he's calling me. And it was quite the response that uh, I think uh, should have initially um, led me to believe that it was going to be everything that we wanted it to be and everything that we thought it was going to be uh, per the, uh, the Bloomberg article that we first heard, uh, heard about them in. Um, so basically over the next couple of years, uh, we've always kept tabs on them, see what they're doing, kept contact. Uh, like he said, a few of us have already come down here just to see how it is that they do what they do, and it's always as good as it sounds. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's actually uh, better. Uh, and it's always uh, getting better, and it's uh, constantly being innovated, and they're constantly doing something new. And of course, we haven't uh, submitted our final grade for him yet, so that is under great duress that he says those uh, wonderful comments. Um, what uh, you you've talked to us about the fact that you've been leaving the the rotations for the normal fourth year interviews at residencies. And you've had opportunities to ask them about direct primary care or, or vice versa. They're asking you about your future plans. How has that conversation gone? Actually, it's, it's for the most part gone very, very well. And it's mostly them uh, asking their typical, uh, their typical residency questions of where do you see yourself in five years after residency? Where do you see yourself uh, you know, in a clinic or in the hospital? What do you envision your uh, practice to look like? And it's... Uh, for me, it's it's always an exciting question because I know I can talk to it so well, and I know I can give an individual answer that's completely unique. And it's I know it's unique because they they are always attentive and actually interested in what I'm saying. Um, I always uh, start off by saying that uh, you know I don't want to be owned. I, I want to have my own clinic. Uh, you see more and more, at least especially through the '90s and into the 2000s, many of the doctors have been bought out and they have to be bought out not because they necessarily want to be but because they have to be to keep their doors open and then that once they get bought out then they you know don't really realize that they still have to see so many patients per day or so many thousands of dollars per week in order to keep their contracts if they don't keep their contracts then they're out of medicine still and it's just always a game on the doctor which also falls down onto the patient that uh that's just not sustainable, and it becomes more about the game than it is the actual patient-doctor relationship, which is the important part. So I kind of roll through that through some of my interviews and um, initially kind of stifle some of their, if they, if they had any, I stifle some of their uh, uh, reproach from the idea of direct primary care uh, because I, I start off by saying what I want to do is help patients. What I want to do is actually make a better doctor-patient relationship. And uh, then I, I go into a, f- a few more specifics that I've uh, helped come, uh, you know, that Alice has helped me come up with, with um, what I actually want in my clinic. Uh, and that being, yes, I do want the membership model. I want them to be able to call me, text me, uh, email me, come on in and see me, you know, same-day visits if it's a, a 
the schedule is open. I want them to do that without having the fear of a uh, $20 or $50 copay or $100 copay, you know, depending on just what uh, insurance you bought. That's ridiculous. I mean, you're still getting the same care, uh, or you should be getting the same care regardless of what your insurance plan says you should get. Um, and then uh, you know, it kind of builds on itself from there, and I, I go into more things like uh, being able to bring in more doctors in the practice and how many patients I can, I can handle on the workload and how much I can save people with, uh, uh, with the uh, pharmaceuticals and what I can do in that regard. So, uh, I mean, I think you get the picture because I'm sure you guys have talked about it time and time again. Um, but it's just fun to do that in an actual residency interview and give somebody a clear idea of what I know I'm going to do. I think it's a lot of fun for us because we get to see that we're hitting the direct care message across all kind of stages of the medical training. We have pre-medical students who are seeing this as a value and envisioning their entire career like this. We have some residents who are near the end of their uh, training and looking to start a practice, but you guys are sort of leapfrogging some of that and to be just you're you're explaining it from a medical student perspective to the residency what your new vision of this uh, your your style of practice will be not just for family medicine but also for psychiatry which is very interesting um do you have any questions for us well the one big question that uh you know i've been down here for a couple weeks already and there's still one question that's really never really answered and that's everything that we've done in the last couple years we know it is as good as it sounds and will be better, but why is it that other doctors still don't get it yet? Why isn't it that they still have a hard time wanting to take that step into uh, turning over their model? Great question. And, and I think we get that a lot of the, uh, from doctors in various stages of their training is if this is as good as it is, um, what is the risk? It om- like it almost sounds too good to be true. And I think it's easier for you guys to see it, one, because you have the business training, so you're evaluating it from that standpoint and saying this looks as a, on, a, on a spreadsheet very sustainable, but also as a new doctor, not burnt out or even naive to the current system of insurance billing. So you don't see those hurdles and problems. So you guys naturally gravitate towards what we believe is, is a better answer, a simpler answer of direct primary care. Other physicians have been in the system so long that th- all they know is obstacles and bureaucracy and that if you're going to do something, you have to do it within the confines of insurance or government or what they'll let you do. And they've probably been knocked down so often that there just doesn't feel like you can truly innovate. And then even if you do innovate in a business sense, we sort of eat our own. Uh, We say that physicians who focus more on the business are less caring, less emotional, less empathetic. We don't believe that. We believe, you know, an impassionate doctor is one who focuses on a business model that helps save their patients hundreds of dollars a month on insurance and co-pays and procedures and, and is really putting the patient first in all scenarios so that they get the best outcome at the most cost-effective way. Uh, so I think as doctors start to see it be successful, 
they watch practices convert, they see it work, they see the transition process become smoother and smoother, they find out that governments and insurance and employers are embracing this model in a meaningful way, then it becomes less scary, it becomes less outside of the box, it becomes less uh, of a, a niche and more of a mainstream thing. But also, I, I really just think doctors have been browbeat into believing that they don't have the control of the system. Administrators do, uh, insurance does, government does, but really we do when we put our patients first. So I think that's probably, to answer your question, why a lot of doctors still struggle with um, that. It almost sounds too good, and then they don't know how to make it happen. Can I bounce off of something you said there? Oh, please. I think uh, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, and maybe it's because I'm still a little bit younger, maybe I haven't been through the system for as long as I as, as some other doctors have. Because you can't remember the 80s. I don't remember the yeah, 80s. That's a flaw. That's right. That's born it's in right, 88. <laughs> Um, I, th- I think that's kind of one of the promises to the direct primary care model is not only for the short term and, and what my uh, what my clinic can be, but also long term uh, for seeing as how well it does work to to apply this model to insurance uh, to insurance in general and to uh, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, which has a huge underfunded problem. You can really solve a whole lot of issues with this type of model, and, and, and with if you uh, direct the money appropriately, you can get a lot of care. Uh, you, you hit on two key populations: the Medicaid and the Medicare. And we're actually working with a lot of states. Yeah, Q-Lines is doing this in Seattle. We're doing it in Kansas of trying to show that the Medicaid and Medicare dollars would be better spent paying for patient care than paperwork. And so even though this is a model that's formerly been considered concierge and elitist, we're really working hard to show how it's a model for the masses and maybe even so focuses on the most at-risk populations, the PDD and the DD who uh, are need the most health care. But we're, so much of the system is built in bureaucracy and expense and not in wholesale medications, wholesale labs, things that are a penny on the dollar, free procedures, unlimited visits, the value of technologies to simplify the process of getting care and answering questions. So I, um, I think it's exciting to see where it will go in that direction. Uh, so uh, another question along the lines of, of the clinics, um, maybe startup clinics more so than anything, what are some of the most successful um, marketing strategies that you could use? Well, I know for, for us initially, uh, the, the movement was in its infancy, so trying to market this when there was questions about how it works, what it is, uh, will it work, uh, a lot of people wanted to even wait and see if this was something that was viable. So, um, you know, you've got print, TV, radio for us. Uh, radio advertising worked pretty well, but the movement is far enough along now that I think marketing to people is easier because we've proven so many different um, modalities as far as saving patients money on medications and labs and uh, things like that, that the movement itself almost uh, sells itself. Uh, so trying to market to new physicians is, is much easier, um, but that's where the business background comes in uh, and trying to figure out innovative ways to remarket medicine. Cost effectively. Yeah, like, like any other business, other businesses have no problem marketing, but we've always, as physicians, expected patients to come to us, and in a failed system, 
clearly that's not working. I always say the best marketing strategy is a great business model, something that sells itself. And I think doctors maybe miss that point often is that the business model is what's what you're selling. So it's that value proposition. It's really easy to sell a great product. It's really hard to sell a not so great product. And so if they start from the beginning, the foundational part, and you know, to take our example, not to say that we're the only way that it can work, because there's lots of ways, but as, as an example of a high value, high value proposition, unlimited visits, no copays, free procedures, wholesale meds, wholesale labs, um, wholesale medications for up to 95% off and cheaper insurance, that is a huge value proposition that you can now sell whatever you do is going to be more cost effective when you're starting with a really good model. But what I would say is happy patients. Make those first 10, 15, 20 patients who join ecstatic. Let them know that you're doing something very different and you're helping them. They'll go and tell everybody else. That transferable trust and word of mouth is going to be enormous. Then social media because it's free and you can practice and you can get a message out and communicate with your people, share a bit of your personality uh, in a cost-effective way. Then radio, then public speaking, uh, and and probably like 99 down on the list is paid advertising uh, because... You print is, is just not as successful. Uh, TV is going to be more expensive than most doctors are willing to do in a startup. So uh, getting out and selling yourself is huge. Uh, Allie, did you have a question? Yeah, so I find this all interesting. And being here for the past month, I know that the model works. And after hearing and communicating with you guys for the past two years or so, I, I know that this works. But my question is, with me going into psychiatry, I'm just wondering what cash models that you've seen open up, whether in family medicine or a different specialty, you know, what are the main reasons that they've failed? So um, I think we see clinics that fail for a lot of reasons and very predictable, really. It goes right back to that value proposition of um, what what are you selling? And, And it does that work. So we hear all the time from doctors that, Oh, I can barely get my patients to pay my copay, let alone pay for a full membership. Or I tried this before in my clinic. I didn't do all the things that you do, but I don't think it'll work. Or my city is just backwards. It, it well, we're seeing it work in urban areas, rural areas, rich areas, poor areas, areas with lots of doctors and areas without lots of doctors. We're seeing it work with specialists and, and, and family doctors alike. So I think it has a lot more to do with how you structure the business than anything else. So uh, I had a doctor one time say he was going to do $75 a month and $75 a visit, no meds, no labs, no technology visits. Yeah, that's that's not going to work. Uh, that, that's a common mistake is, is sticking to the old way of doing a broken model. A copay? For what? Not when you have a membership. That's, the membership is so, supposed to supplant the copay. My gym doesn't have a membership and it offers a lot of services to a lot of people and it's very successful but at a very low price. Doctors will say, "Ah, I'll do meds later if the direct care practice takes off. But how do you make a direct care practice take off if you're not adding maybe one of the quintessential pieces of value? If I can save a patient a hundred dollars a month on their medication, why wouldn't I do that from the beginning if it wasn't just for fear? Or, well, I'm afraid of sticking my neck out too much, and I'm not sure how I can build a lapse. 
We'll find out. Because we have the most important why that there is. We have our patience. That's the best reason to fight for a good business model uh, ever is to look at how do you make someone who has to, I, I unfortunately maybe have diagnosed a patient with pancreatic cancer this week. Hopefully it's a lymphoma with a better outcome. But I threw the book at him lab-wise. I did everything internal medicine I wanted to do. It was $77. It's CAT scan to diagnose the problem, $200. And that's in large part because we cared enough to develop a model that would offer the most services at the most value uh, at the best price for our patients. So the clinics that fail are failing because they're, well, half-assing it. They're, not, they're, they're more interested in how the doctor benefits and less how the customer benefits. But if you don't put the customer first, everything else doesn't uh, fall in succession like it should. It'd be like a car mechanic opening up a shop and they'll do tire changes now, but if they start to grow, then they'll start changing oil. And if that grows, then they'll start adding other services. Well, clearly, the shop across town that does everything from the beginning, they're going to grow much quicker because they started offering everything, not just waiting to see if they'd grow. So it, it's a common mistake, again, in medicine because it's just something we're not used to. Offer everything and patients will come. Exactly. If you build it, they will come. Uh, I got uh, one more uh, a question here, and that's kind of a, a spinoff of the uh, the whole DPC model and having potential to, to fix problems like with Medicare and Medicaid. Um, one of the other big problems in medicine is that the uh, we just don't have enough doctors for uh, the people that are out there that are in need. So the question that I have is, is this possible, this type of model possible, for a residency program, or if, if not in full for a residency program, are parts of it possible for a residency program? I, I definitely think so. I think if the residency is designed to train the next crop or generation of physicians, then they need to help train them in the model that they'll practice in, which means help those physicians who are learning how they'll provide care to do it with text message, with email, with wholesale meds, with wholesale labs. Give them enough of a business background to understand the economics of a a payroll and workman's comp and OSHA, but at the same time show them the value and the technique of dispensing wholesale medications. A physician who's an intern is going to need a little bit more help finding the nuances and subtleties of communicating with the patient by email. So attendings could be part of that learning process. And I don't think the, the residency would have to go into a full direct primary care structured membership, payment, credit card each month, yada, yada. But they could definitely pull in the essence of a direct care model so that those you know, new physicians are learning in the right way. And in, in residency, you know, you're, you're already attached to a pager for several years. So if a patient can page me after hours, why not just text me or email me? Right. It's much easier to answer a text than it is to have to call the hospital operator, leave a number, get the page, call the number back, just get a text. It's better for the patient. But, uh, but great uh, uh, questions. Thank you for participating with our podcast. I know this is one of our longer podcasts, but uh, I think it's been uh, wonderful to have your input. Uh, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us at the atlas.md slash blog, our Facebook page, uh, Twitter, 
We, again, also launched the IamDirectCare.com. So we want doctors and patients alike going and adding their information to that page and, and using the hashtag IamDirectCare in their conversations and success stories about this. We, we've also recently launched forums for our existing software users, but also to discuss the direct care model like we do in our podcast. So any doctor interested in moving into this space uh, has questions about forms and contracts and pricing and negotiations, etc. We're building a whole wonderful community there at uh, atlas.nd slash forums. Uh, so thank you again. Please feel free if you have questions. You can call, text, or email us at uh, hello at atlas.md, at atlas.md on Twitter, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you uh, until our next podcast. So thanks again to all of you and to our guests. Yep. Thank, thank you, you for having us here.